Welcome to the GYSB Talks podcast with host Carla Palmer. GYSB Talks, get your sexy back talks, is the number one podcast helping women in midlife elevate physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, and in relationships. I am so happy and oh so grateful that you are here today and every week. Now, let's get into today's topic, shall we? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of GYSB Talks. I am your host, Carla Palmer, and today I am joined by two beautiful ladies. Today, we're going to be talking about Beyond the Diagnosis, Thriving with HIV, and we have a special guest, Ladia Joyce. Hi, Ladia. Thank you for being here. Good morning, y'all, or good afternoon, good evening, whenever y'all watch this and listen. Um, thank you so much, Carla, for having me. Of course. And then I have my special co-host, Ravanya Johnson. <laughs> Hi, thank you for being here, sis. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Okay, so let me introduce them formally. Um, my guest, Ladia Joyce, is an HIV influencer and WebMD contributing writer. Meet Ladia Joyce. She's a multifaceted force, seamlessly transitioning from impactful nonprofit founder to confident fashionista. Through her influential online presence, Ladia illuminates the shadows of HIV miseducation and stigma within the Black community with a focus on empowering cisgender Black women. Fearlessly embracing her own HIV diagnosis, she leverages the potency of storytelling and authenticity to embolden women of all backgrounds. Transcending status. A dedicated member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, Ladia's mm-hmm. educational foundation spans music industry business, communications, and marketing. Her essence is a dynamic blend of Memphis Faith, Atlanta Flair, and Brooklyn Fire. Again, welcome to the show, Ladia Joyce. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> now for my co-host. My guest co-host today is Ravanya Johnson. Ravanya is a creative in every sense of the word. She is a designer, fashion and interior, a writer, producer, stylist, and an actor, to name a few. She has created, written, produced, and performs a one-woman show called This Is Very Important, where she breathes life into over 13 characters. The mission of the show is to help bring awareness to the rising numbers of heterosexual cisgender women who are being diagnosed with HIV and the stigmas that surround the virus and those living with HIV. The show is highly entertaining and has been performed around the Los Angeles area, South Africa, and off-Broadway. You will laugh, you will be moved, and you will be educated. Ravanya, thank you for being my co-host today, sis. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I am too. Okay, so <laughs> let's get into this conversation. I, I wanted to bring Ladia on because I saw a segment that she posted on her Instagram story where she was sharing about living with HIV. It was a segment. Was that on Bravo? Bravo? No, it wasn't on Bravo. Maybe you speaking some things into existence, but no, it was a documentary that was shot with a um, a global organization that is um, focusing on providing education and conferences for physicians and clinicians that provide care to those of us who've been diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. So your personal journey of living with HIV, and um, I want you to share about how it has impacted your life. Um, first and foremost, I am one of the ones who was diagnosed a little bit later in life. I was diagnosed at 36. And so at 36, you know, we're moving, we're grooving. We, you know, you think about where you was at 30, you know, 35, 36, you and your groove, you know, you got those postgraduate degrees, you got the car, you know, you're getting into feeling and finding yourself, you know, got a little extra money. We traveling, you know, bought my first luxury car. So I'm in that groove. And in the midst of that, um, launching businesses, I got hit with the diagnosis. And the immediate impact was like, basically, it literally and figuratively sucked all the air out of every one of my cells. Like, you know, I'm full ship ahead and you come to like, it it snatched my breath away, for lack of better words, because 
being from where I'm from, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, you know, I tell folks, I'm, you know, I'm from one generation out the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm a foot in, foot out. I'm from an urban setting. If you know anything about Memphis, baby, it's an urban setting. And so in my mind, I kept saying, you did all that you were supposed to do to not become a statistic, to become a statistic, if that makes sense. So the impact for me initially in those first couple of years was very much mental, very much going through deprogramming or not processing or ingesting stigma. Because we know that there's external stigma, but external, internal stigma is a lot to take because it's you hearing the chatter, but in your own voice. So it was a lot of unpacking those first couple of years because I did everything they told me to do, you know, or so I thought. And so that was the initial impact. Now it has given me a new level of authenticity. And even more so where I show up even more genuine. Um, you said don't cuss. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things like, you know, you throw caution to the wind. You live your life out loud. Um, I have a different like assuredness. Like I may have already danced the beat to my own drum. As my mother say, I always been like that since I was a girl. But even now post-diagnosis, oh, baby, we full out. You know, this is Broadway. This is Debbie Allen. She got her stick. We are dancing to the beat of our own drum. Because when you overcome that level of both external and internal stigma, having your diagnosis kind of play out in real life on an international stage, you got to confront your insecurities before your insecurities confront you. Right. Mm. So that it's been a, it's been a, I'd like to say when bittersweet goes from bitter to sweet. So at mm. first it was real sweet, but now I'm getting the sweetness out of it. So that's been the impact. It, 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 it has impacted how I interact with relationships and how I talk, how I show up, giving grace and compassion. It's made me very much more heart centered mm-hmm. for lack of better words. Mm-hmm. What did your self care look like? Baby, Jesus and my therapist saved my life. Uh, <laughs> hashtag, that was something I was like, no, Jesus and. It was both and. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, faith was a big thing. Journaling, meditation, even to the point that getting back into the gym. And sometimes I didn't have the energy to do it, but like being conscientious about body movement, about um, taking supplements and vitamins to improve or to strengthen my immune system. Um, the power of no. Mm, 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 mm. Say that again. Um, the, yes. the power of no was a big part of my self-care and exercising my full self-efficacy when it came to my boundaries. Because mm, I had to put those in, in like quickly in, in effect. And also the vulnerability of asking for help. Mm. So self-care was a 360. It wasn't just like, oh, I, you know, I was, you know, got my candles, my crystals, my song, my Bible, my oil, the Florida water, the, the this, the that, <laughs> my journal, my pens, my highlighters, you know, zip, no, it also included, hey, I need help. Hey, mm-hmm. I don't have the energy. Can you come? You know, it was, it was in totality from relationship to spiritual, to mental, to physical, emotional, financial. It was a whole 360 area part of my life, I got to a point, I like to say that people like to call it selfish. No, I had to become self-full. Like mm. I had to fill my own cup. It's not me being selfish. I say it's all the time. I'm not selfish. I'm self-full. Um, and I had to realize in self-care that I can't pour. I mean, you're not supposed to pour from your cup, period. You're supposed to give people the overflow. You know, if you can't pour from an empty cup, you ain't supposed to be pouring from your cup either. Your cup is for you. So it took that in self-care to understand that I needed folks to deposit back into me so I can get back to the point that I can give for my overflow. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. gave me a word. <laughs> I love it. Um, woo, the self-full. You just like preach to me. I felt that really deep. But my question is for, um, because you're a very strong woman. Did mm-hmm. you try to take this on yourself before getting a therapist or did you know right away I should get a therapist? Because you are a very I, strong woman. So, you know, being a woman of strength, you also have to realize your limitations. Exactly. 
if you're a wise woman of strength, you know what I'm saying? And at that point, I was a wise, I had wise counsel. I was a wise woman of strength. And I realized I didn't, could not take this on. And it would be foolish and detrimental to myself to try to take this on myself. Like, I think as black women, we have to get to the point that we realize, baby, you need to realize when it's time to tap out. And at this moment, I had Dia had to tap out. Because I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what was up ahead. And so I immediately knew this is outside of my scope of reference. This mm -hmm. ain't on my pay grade. This ain't even in my, like, this, you know how I say, this is a different chapter. But this wasn't even in my book. Like, I didn't have the playbook for this. Okay. I need to go consult somebody else. So, no, or very immediately on, I was just like, I need to find a doctor or a specialist. But I also need to find a therapist. Because mm -hmm. I don't know insert whatever word here, what is going on? Because it's a whole bunch of stuff at play right now. Yeah, I love that. And I think a lot of people are going to um, hear that and, and feel seen in that. Just because mm -hmm. as Black women, we're always the strong one. We're always the, I can do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it and get it done. <laughs> and I love that you knew right away that, yeah, I'm strong. I could do it, but I'm not going to try to do it I'm going to do it with help. So I, I like that. And, that was and then wondering. I also realized we have to lean into, you know, if you believe in a higher power, we have to lean into our weakness in order for our belief to kick in. You know, you got to lean into your natural for God or whoever your most high is to add that supernatural to it. Like, and if I had stayed that way, there would have been no way for me to give what was necessary because I had to lean into that weakness to realize hey, you ain't got this. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, it takes strength to mm -hmm. even realize that you're able to or have the mentality to do so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What yeah. about, um, you know, connecting with your family on this? What did, what did that look like? How were they supportive? And I ask that because this mm -hmm. could be, you know, yes, we're talking about HIV, but this could be other illnesses or right. diseases that people are going through. We need our family. So what did mm -hmm. that conversation look like and how were they supportive in that way? The only one I actually told was my mother. Um, my mom was the only one I told like verbally because um, when I got the initial diagnosis or like, you know, you need to come back in for a test because we see something. I told her, I was like, you know, mom, they saying this and you are like most immediate like person like when they call back for this follow-up appointment i need you to be in a room mm. right um my father i wrote a letter to because all of my parents are still married we don't have the best like <sighs> how fast my dad first of all is a marine oh and that says it all <laughs> communication is hard <laughs> communication is very hard he is a stout christian kojic man and all those play into how our relationship has played out. Um, and I wrote him a letter to get to him like a couple of days before my commercial was supposed to air. Mm -hmm. And I was diagnosed in 20, September 29, 2016. My commercial aired for the first time like September, no, August 26, 2019. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh -huh. He didn't know for three years? No. Wow. That was just something my mom held. Um, my brother found out when the commercial aired mm. because even in that, I had to understand that be family or chosen family, I needed people around me who could support me where I was. Mm. And mentally, those type of conversations would have drained or it would it would have been me pouring from my cup mm -hmm. and not the overflow. And I did not have the capacity for it. Mm -hmm. So I allowed those conversations to play out organically in real life based on the decisions I made, you know, prior to. But my mom was the only family member I told, um, like, hey. Come on, I got something, you know, let me talk to you for a second. My mom mm -hmm. and other, the other people I, you know, told were chosen family, but family, no, even to this day, I have, you know, I have some strained relationship with family because of how stigma kind of got us in the chokehold mm -hmm. in the black community when it comes to HIV. So it's strained, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to have shared that with my mom. And I don't feel no ways bad about how it played out with my brother and my dad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not at mm -hmm. all. 
You mentioned, you mentioned stigma, um, and I'm so glad that you had your mother. You know, it's really important to have somebody. And like you said, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, your chosen family, because we all have those two. Ravanya is my sister. Um, and, you know, I've, sh- I've shared things with Ravanya that I, I haven't shared with other people. It's just really important to have that person in your corner like that. So I'm glad you had your mommy. Um, you talk about, you know, stigma, and I, I want to talk a little bit about that because that is one of the reasons why it is so widespread with African-American women, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we can, you can talk more about that because I'm sure you're an expert in that and, and not, I am not, but, um, you know, it really hits the African-American community and women very hard. And I think it's be, what part of it is because of the stigma that is attached to having HIV, you know, coming out with that and people with it are hiding. People don't know their status. Um, can we mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that? I'm sure you can share more than I'm sharing right now. <laughs> no, as far as stigma, I like to say, I like to, my thought process is this. We have to realize how we were first socialized to sex in the black community. You know, we were socialized to sex in such an enough way that we weren't given the school, the skill set to navigate sexual experiences in the most healthy way or even with the most healthy mindset. Most of us, the talk was don't come home pregnant. Listen, I grew up coaching, so I know, listen. But well, you understand. My dad was a pastor, you know? Like, <laughs> yes, I feel you on that, sis. I feel yeah, superintendent's, Yeah, superintendent's daughter here. So, yeah, you understand. So, we were told not to come home pregnant, but we weren't really told how not to come home pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we weren't taught how to, so we weren't socialized correctly. So that, you know, stems into how we view HIV and that is a white gay man's disease, you know, or it's a, you know, a dirty woman's disease or something that you get when you're a crack whore. And this is me, you know, being, you know, speaking like media, not what I hold in my heart, but like you are a crack whore, you're promiscuous or you're this, that, and the third. And it's just like, y'all, for black women, that is so far from the truth. Like, um, when we look at it statistically, I believe uh, almost upwards of 80 to 85 percent of all women, black women who um, acquire HIV or, you know, um, contract HIV, they get it through heterosexual mm-hmm. sexual contact. Right. Only about less than 10 percent of those women, you know, 100 percent, you take the the spectrum of the group of black women who are diagnosed with HIV, less than 10 percent of those get that through intravenous drug use so when you think about what's perpetuating when it comes to stigma stereotypes myths it's that we get it from x y and z but it's like no it's actually the other way around and of that 80 to 85 percent i want to say there was a statistic i'm still trying to find like to you know fact check it but it's of those 85 60 percent of those women can name who they contracted hiv from and if they can't name them, they know who. Mm, so it's not this, you know, seven, eight, 12 degrees of separation from the person that they know how they contract. You know, these women, most women who I'm in community with could be like, yeah, it was that Negro or it was that incident. Like if, you know, I don't, you know, if, if it's not a name, like it was this person, and, like they can, they know, you know what I'm saying? It's not, oh, a one night stand. No. Um, so that's one, you know, one thing that I think about through stigmas, like when we think about factually and what we've been socialized and what we see. Um, also, you talk about stigma. It's, you know, we're so indoctrinated with church and, you know, our, we look at sex as a morality issue, it's a morality thing versus a natural human experience. Mm-hmm. So that really does shape how we view um, HIV through the myriad of different, you know, stereotypes, the myths and the stigma. And it's just something that's always perpetuated. And why it doesn't connect with black women is a lot of times with the marketing, where we've been told that it is white, very white, very male and very gay. When most black women don't realize that one in 32 black women be diagnosed with HIV in her lifetime. I mean, if you think about your phone list, that's probably a good dozen people. You know what I'm saying? If you go to any store, any church, any event, most roles probably got between 15 and 30, you know, depending on how that's in one section, you may end up with a dozen. And also, what is it? Um, by the time we finish this podcast, every 30 minutes in the United States, some, a woman is diagnosed with HIV. Within those 90 minutes, two of those three women would be a black woman. So we make up 64% of all HIV women 
you know, women HIV transmission cases. But we don't hear that. We don't, we're not marketed towards that. So I think that's where we miss the mark as black women is that we don't know that we're HIV possible. We don't know that we're very vulnerable to HIV. And so because it gives us, gives a us, them perspective and no baby, HIV don't have no respective address, social, economical background, height, size, weight. It does not care. It can tap on your door too. You spoke about um, a lot, a large percentage of women knowing where or who mm -hmm. they contracted HIV from. I found in my research, I was really surprised, especially in our community, how we held on to the fact that if it came from a man, he had to be like in the closet. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, I was really surprised to find out how many people felt that. But you yourself was in a relationship with a man who was not in the closet. Do, not at all. And, yeah, because it's also something here's like, oh, well, you know, he was on down low. I was like, no, he was a whore, but you know, he, he wasn't on, you know, on the down low. Like, can we? And that's one of those things I wish we can move away from as black women when we talk about at the intersection of black women vulnerability and HIV. If we can stop stop bringing up, you know, this very transphobic, this very homophobic ideology behind, well, if you got it from a man, you know. He on a down low and he ain't, you know, up and up about his sexuality. Narcissist, not really. You know, there may be some cases, but that really ain't the narrative in totality. And I think because of that, it's also like um, Carla said earlier, we don't connect to it as black women because it's also something that overshadows. Mm -hmm. Like you said earlier, the person I contracted HIV from, I had known at that point for almost seven, eight years. Mm. You know, this wasn't, you know, somebody who was fly by night. I had known this man. Right. And um, it was very much one of those things like, hey, whew, you know, I know I was kind of vulnerable, but I didn't know it could come packaged like this. Mm -hmm. And when you do that deep dive, you'd be like, no, we all are vulnerable. And he ain't got to be dibbling, dabbling. He could just, you know. It's it, it's not that. And I think that's something else that has been show cold and is not allowing us to break down the barriers to understand how um, black women can be impacted and are being impacted by this chronic illness. Is this one of the reasons why you do the speaking engagements and everything mm -hmm. and the writing? It's um, because we don't see or hear from us, mm -hmm. you know. If we know that since 2000, I think 2004, 2006 is when black women became the high, um, like the like the numbers for us start to rise. And it's been like that since that time. But when we think about um, who we see in the media, commercials, marketing, having an NBA in marketing definitely gives me a different perspective. Like y'all are missing the mark. And that's why I live my life out loud the way I do, not as a cautionary tale, because I ain't no nobody's cautionary tale. However, comma, I am like, your case is, you know, let me hip you to what you could possibly overlooking to make sure that you're having the healthiest, most pleasurable sexual experience every time so that you don't have to find yourself on the receiving end of an HIV diagnosis. But also doing it so that other black women who've been diagnosed who are not because this is a privilege to live my life out loud like this. Because mm -hmm. so many people are like, well, why do you know more with me to come forth? I said, do y'all really think in today's world, living the life as a black woman, that somebody, I, I don't blame them at all. Mm -hmm. But I realized I was graced for this. But, in, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't say I'm, you know, a voice for, you know, the um, unheard. No, I'm the voice for the dismissed. Mm. And I'm a face for the overlooked. Because they know we hear. They just choose not. To, you know, you know, to lean in and pay attention to, you know, turn the volume up on, make sure that we're seen. So that's why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. It sounds intentional. It's very intentional. Um, I mean, I didn't want to go there, but it sounds intentional. It's scary. Mm -hmm. It wow. is. It's almost, it's, it's like... Because I say this, I say if we flipped how we talked about HIV and centered black black and brown bodies and black and brown women, do y'all not know y'all would heal everybody else behind that? Mm -hmm. And this is just me and my black woman, whatever, my bag, black woman bag. You got to take care of mother first. When you take care mm -hmm. of mother, everything else going to follow. But it's something that they choose not to do. And eh, yeah, you talking about intentional oh, girl. Yeah. 
it's very much on brand because they want people to think or realize that this ain't, you know, I was just a little HIV. No, <laughs> right. not at all. I remember seeing your commercial. I didn't know that you ha you were gonna, going to have a commercial because I follow you on social media, but I remember mm -hmm. seeing your commercial and being so excited because when I was doing the research for my show, it was so hard to find any material about black women, like all the old commercial clippings and newspaper clippings and magazine articles, it was all white male. And when I saw that commercial, I got excited because I said, oh, maybe there's going to now be a shift. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it was a, a small little, <laughs> small little, yeah, sprinkle, <laughs> but it was good to see. How did you feel mm -hmm. about that? Did you feel like you were like on the forefront of something like as important as now having a platform and the exposure to give to black women who have, um, who are living with HIV? It was one of those um, instances, like you try not to hype yourself up like, oh my gosh, you know, this is great. But then sometimes I get in my bag and I'm like, no, dear, you did that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like when you think about it, you were one of the first or very few like black women who was the sole protagonist in a commercial that went international that was solely focused on HIV in some shape, form, be it medication or prevention. You're one of very few, one of few faces, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying, to be counted in a number to say that you've done that. Um, the response was uh, overwhelming mm -hmm. because, you know, you got this black girl on TV with her purple locks and... <laughs> She's smiling, but it's relatable. It's not like, you know, we were skipping through fields of lavender, but it was like the commercial really was written um, about my life. It was, you know, I had a book club. I purchased a home at the time. Like, it chronicled me through my life. So I thought it was, it was very intentional with the, the pharmaceutical and the marketing companies to, like, pull elements of my life to put in that. And seeing the commercial, having folks recognize, first of all, this voice, I cannot hide this voice whatsoever <laughs> so I would go in stores and talk and I'd be like you look and sound so familiar and I just sit there for a while like oh okay you know, but no and they're like but I, I know I was like oh and I would tell them like yes but it was one of those things that I was excited to, you know mm -hmm. to do because it hadn't been done on that level before like you open up an essence that you know that's my ad in essence right there you open up the essence now and sometimes my, you know, I'm still in the middle of the magazine and some may call it trite or, but I think it was a, a, a shift that I wish more pharmaceutical and marketing companies would have taken notice behind that. Um, there is some talk that there's another commercial that's starring, you know, or featuring a black woman. And I can't wait for that to come out because if nothing else, I would see the commercial, you know, watching it behind, you know, watching other people watch it. And they would notice because even if they weren't HIV positive, you see a black woman on TV who's relatable. Who you be like, wait a minute, that's a, and she a sister. Like, mm -hmm. that's a sister. Wait a minute, hold on. Let me at least see what it's talking about. And so many people, you know, took the opportunity, found my website. They were like, at first I thought you were an actress, but you're a real person. This is your life. Oh, my gosh. So if nothing else, it created conversation. And I'm glad that during in that time, it created conversation because at the very bare minimum of all this, we could really get through HIV as an epidemic if we had the necessary informed conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that it was a dope moment. You know, I don't take it for granted. Black girl on TV with purple locks. Yeah, give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. What, um... um what advice would you give to single women? I'm single. I've been single for a really <laughs> long time and it's by choice. It's not, I can get a date. Right. Um, right. But I'm a little scared. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm, I'm scared to get in that water, get in that dating pool. What, <laughs> what advice would you give to somebody like me? I'm in my fifties. So, I'm single. I want to, I want to get out there, but I'm not out there yet. I mean, dating is dating. Usually, my when it comes to sex, exercise your full efficacy. Um, I am one who believes that before we like, I'm at the point now where I can't engage in casual sex. I need intimacy. Like, I need to have some type of intimacy. Trust, I'm 40. I'll be 44 in January. So, I'm to the point like, you know, casual sex. I ain't with it. You know what I'm saying? If I want to engage in casual sex, 
it's because I want to engage in casual sex and I know what I'm doing to make sure I'm safeguarding myself to not only make sure that it's healthy, but make sure it's pleasurable, right? And you can't always guarantee that through casual sex, <laughs> right? <laughs> not. But I would say, first and foremost, make sure that you're having sex because you want to have sex. And make sure you have sex based on what your boundaries are. Like if it's no, you know, I need condoms each and every time. We need to have up-to-date, you know, um, test results. I need them printed out. I need to see the number at the top where it says, you know, test number. If that's your boundary, stand 10 toes down on that. You know what I'm saying? Because I, and looking at my own life, I relaxed my boundaries and areas and I went further than I was safe with that person. Right. You know, and looking back at it, I did not exercise my full advocacy. I did not exercise full efficacy in each and every time we engaged with sex. And I let him relax it, which caused me to relax on my boundaries, got me, you know, here now. But stand 10 tones down on what it is that you need. And if the person cannot respect what you need for your body and your healthy, pleasurable sex experience, then that's not the person for you. And you can even get that in casual encounters. You just have to make sure you're consistent with it and not relax your boundaries with nobody's son. Because, you know, to enter this playground, this is what's required, sir. Right. Or ma'am, you know, this is what's required. Yeah. I love that advice. And I, I love it because I think that women feel like it's a shortage of men out there. And if we don't mm -hmm. come pleasing them and doing what they want us to do, then they will go and find somebody else. Well, they can go and find somebody else. Right. And I, I love right. what you're saying. Like stand 10 toes down on what your boundaries are and the right person will respect those boundaries and stay. Right. But I, I like that Ladea said that because I feel like um, in my show, I, I talk about that, like as women, especially in our culture, mm -hmm. and especially when you grow up, I grew up Kojic as well. Oh, God. I, I feel like when you grow up, like the black community in church, you know, and their love for church. And I feel like we are taught that and we're taught to like get married and get us a man. And so when even when we want to you know, want to be protected, we're afraid if they decide that, okay, well, we've been doing this for a while now, so we should be good. And we do allow that relaxed kind of pull back and afraid to say something in a sense, or mm -hmm. feel like we love them so much that they must love us enough to, you know, be, you know, good and safe that we, we put a lot of trust in them versus ourselves. Yeah. And I do like that. I do have a question. Have you noticed that more women um, of color are being tested um, from when you were first diagnosed to now? I can say that in my realm, you know, you know, your influence, your circle of influence, the conversations coming up. Like I get women all the time, you know, like they inbox me like, Ladia, you know, I did this and. He said, okay, and, you know, like, we went and got tested, and they'll send me, you know, screenshots of the text messages, or they'll, you know, send pictures of them actually going out to go, you know, oh, we took pictures afterwards, you know, we did, um, you know, testing and movies or whatever. So the conversations are increasing. I, you know, am thankful to be in a position with my platform that made it easier for folks to have the conversation. You know what I'm saying? So... I, you know, it, it's about, you know, understanding how to have the conversation. Like you said earlier, we're so indoctrinated, like I got to hold on to him because if not, I'm not going to get another man. But it's like, no, sis, this is what you need. So it warms my heart when I get those inboxes or those text messages. Like, you know, I went to the doctor and I knew what to ask for. You know, they did push back like you told me to. But I, you know, I said this and, you know, da, 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 you know, married woman, single woman, women, uh, you know, all around the spectrum of relationship are just like, who I'm in, you know, in, in community with, the conversations are increasing. The testing is increasing. And that's one of those things. I was like, if, you, if we know this as like individual influencers or people who show up on social media, black women particularly who are HIV positive, if we know that us having the conversation is impacting our scope and our realm, why not get it on a, you know, get the messaging on a like national level that's spearheaded by or showing black women leading the conversation because mm -hmm. you know we are the culture right? yes we are <laughs> but that's the thing like the disconnect for me is like i've seen it in my own like friend groups and then their associated friend groups like oh you you friends were so oh tell her I, you know you know like, oh that's so cute mm -hmm. but 
we could start fires if it was just elevated. And I think having the testing, increasing the conversation around testing makes the conversations easier. You know what I'm saying? It makes them more, it's easier. You have a skill set. You got, think, you know, pieces or blurbs that you probably heard to make the introduction of those conversations so much more easier. But they ain't doing it. And like Carla said, maybe it's intentional. Well, we know it's intentional. But yeah. that's one thing I can say that warms my heart when I get a text message or email or inbox. Like, hey, we went and got tested. Thank you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, good. I love that. Because as you know, when, sorry, as you Go know, ahead, when Mom. I did my show, I had free testing after every last <laughs> one of my shows. And it was interesting in the beginning because the, the truck would be there before the show and nobody would go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. maybe one or two, you know, and then after the show, more people would go to the truck. Right. <laughs> and, and I love that. And, you know, it was just interesting to see. And I was wondering if the testing has improved because I mean, the show premiered in 2018. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when you're at a show or you're, you're experiencing something like that, you may, may be more encouraged to do it. But I was just hoping that more people were just getting tested in general, especially, you know, you have a commercial that's airing. We're now seeing people like us who live normal mm-hmm. lives, who aren't the st- statistics or the stigmas that, that people have been holding on to. And I was hoping that you would say that the, the testing has increased. And I get mad too. They inbox me. I was like, you know, hey, I know I'm a you know, cisgender black woman, but come on, man. What we, what we got to do? Let's have a conversation. Come on. Yeah. yeah I love so that. even for men too. Um, you said that somebody said, you know, they push back. And then I asked them these things. Like, what are they pushing back on? I was going to have that question too. Was it the doctor or the, the boyfriend, the partner that pushed back? The doctor. Welcome to the South. Welcome to the South. I've lived in Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, and New York. Um, Of those states, the Southern states are an opt-in state, which means you have to opt-in to have an HIV test done. Wow. New York and I think, not Georgia, but Atlanta, (laughs) New York and I think Atlanta, they're opt-out areas. So you have to opt-out of having an HIV test done. So in the great state of Tennessee, a very red state, um, the doctors here, a lot of times, because of their implicit bias, will push back on women, particularly women who are in relationships or married, and ask them, why do you need to be tested? Mm-mm. And that's a common occurrence, particularly for women, Black women who live in Southern states, because again, the doctors use the implicit bias, you know, even stereotypes and stigma to, you know, process why your patient is coming to you. I've had married women who was like, dear, you know, when you said, think about the age of your youngest child, it's probably the last time you had a complete panel. And if your child 21, you haven't had a complete panel since your child was born mm-hmm. in like two, three, almost two, two decades. And it was like, I went and my doctor's like, why you need this? You've been married. And they were just like, because I asked, you know. This is, you know, I need to know the penis or the, you know, the, you know, it's not in my pocketbook every day, you know, like stuff happens. What do you Mm -hmm. mean? And that's the pushback. A lot of times the pushback when I'm talking to like my ladies is from the doctor. Wow. Yes, from the doctor. That's so interesting because there's such a large number of women, including you, of women who have you know, contracted HIV from either their husband or a long-term partner. Mm-hmm. Wow. Are you feeling stressed, overwhelmed, or just in need of a little self-care? Are you ready to embark on a journey of healing and self-discovery? Well, the Journal Journey Travel Set by Beautiful Intentions is here to help. Curated thoughtfully by a mental health expert, this set harnesses the proven benefits of journaling reducing stress, enhancing mood, fostering self-awareness, and advancing healing. With a beautifully crafted journal, premium creative tools, and a guide to maximize your practice, your journal journey travel set is certain to launch you into a wellness revolution that promises you the peace and tranquility that you deserve wherever life takes you. It's time to prioritize your emotional well-being and begin your healing journey today. 
visit mybeautifulintentions.com and use the code GYSBTALKS for an exclusive offer. The Journal Journey Travel Set, your gateway to a healthier, happier, more beautiful you. But because, especially when you think about physicians in these areas, a lot of time are white and male, Mm -hmm. they still, even in their profession, as a medical doctor where you're not supposed to do any harm, they're still processing through that HIV is a um, white gay male's disease versus being some of those doctors that take the time to engage and continue education to understand that the population of HIV has expanded. So they use their very good old boy ideologies and thought process to handle their patients, which is to the detriment of a lot of us because the year that I was diagnosed, um, I realized that my gynecologist never did my HIV test. Mm -hmm. I had my physical and my annual scheduled the same day. And, um, you know, going back and going through medical records, the physical Got, that's where I, where I had my physical done is the doctor or the facility that called me back. My OBGYN, who had been my OBGYN for years, a couple of years at this point, when I called and looked through, asked my medical records, they never processed my HIV, my request for an HIV test. And when I talked to my physician and I went to him like after being diagnosed, he said, oh, we only do it every other year. And, um... You didn't, oh, we didn't draw blood, so why didn't you catch it? And I was like, well, you're the doctor. If I request for it to be done, why didn't you do it? And his response, white man, was like, well, at least somebody caught it. You're healthy now, right? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I threw my phone across the room at him. But in a state, you know, in Tennessee, I was like, I asked for it. You still didn't mm-hmm. do it. And if I was someone who only went to my annual I would still be out here with HIV sick, not knowing because I'm waiting to come back the year Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. But because he was like, well, you don't, and this was words, you don't engage in any risky behaviors, do you? Mm -hmm. I didn't think you did. So that's why, you know, his whole thing was like, why are we making a big deal out of it? Wow. Turned it right on the patient. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Gaslighting. I'm sorry <laughs> that happens to you. Like, um, <laughs> like, oh, you here now? Wow. A year later, sir. A year later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm oh, sorry that goodness. happened to you. Me too. But I'm glad that you share that story so that people can know to advocate for themselves and to request to see your test results. Like, I feel like um, as people, like male or female, we, we have a lot of fear of finding out that diagnosis. So we'll request the test. And you know that thing, or if you don't hear uh-huh. from your doctor, then everything is good. But sometimes that's not the case. Some doctors get so overwhelmed or they don't do the mm. test. Yeah. They don't have time to call people, you know, like it just, and then you get lost in the shuffle because some, some yeah. have so many patients, you know, so many patients more than they probably should. Um, that they can't really keep up with it. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times I've been guilty of calling and saying, hey, I just, I'm just checking, like, what's my results? (laughs) Well, you know, if we don't call, you know, I don't know because there could, I could be the thing that felt the person that fell through the crack. So that's good to hear you say that so that women can know that like, you just need to advocate for everything, you know, Mm -hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything. It's unfortunate, but we got to. Mm-hmm. And to not be afraid to to call and find out, you know, what that test result is. Because we'll hold on to that. Well, I ain't hear nothing, so I'm good. You know, we'll hold on to that. <laughs> yeah. My fr- very first test, I held on to that. <laughs> it's, oh, I Yeah, anything. I didn't hear anything, so I was like, like I'm good. I, I didn't follow up until the next time I had a test. But I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. No, that's a good point. That's very good. You know, how often do we do actually do fall mm-hmm. through the cracks? We don't know. So I didn't even think about it from that perspective. Like, yeah, you could have fell through the crack- cracks, sis. Call. Get your test results. Yes. Please. But yes. Dia, what, do you, what do you have? Um, oh, did you have another question, Ravanya? No, it was just a, a comment. I was just saying there's nothing wrong with double checking. Not when it comes to your health because we know how 
especially how they do black women when it comes to in in the healthcare system. Period. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now it's this triple mm-hmm. check and tell them to put it in the in the record if they don't want to do it. You know, or hand me my record. Can I get a copy? You get at least a free one every year. I need all of it. Mm-hmm. I need to see what you're putting in this mm-hmm. file mm-hmm. Um, because I need to see because this this is my life, my health. We're talking yeah. about. But yes. Ladia, what do you have coming up? I don't know. No, coming up. Jesus, life. <laughs> no. Um, I just finished. Um, I'm doing, I'm co-authoring two like anthologies. And I'm putting anthologies in um, air quotes, but like a compilation. Um, one is called Manifesting Her, and that's out now. Um, that's self-published. I'm excited about being a part of a, you know, a major book um, that's called Hood Wellness that's going to be out in April, April 16, 2024. And I'm an essayist slash co-author, co-writer for that project. And um, trying to find ways to create curriculums and courses and workshops for both women who've been diagnosed, but also finding ways to get into the healthcare system to teach about um, stigmatizing language to have real life conversations with doctors and also medical students so they can understand what it's like to talk to someone who actually has lived through HIV, especially in some of these um, states and counties that have had or on the in the epidemic list, which is um, something that's been mandated by United States government that they're focused on certain like top 50 cities in the nation that are hotbeds, for lack of better words, for HIV transmission cases and find a way to like infiltrate, for lack of better words, or get into those systems to talk to medical students to give them an idea of um, to socializing with HIV a lot better because in most medical, um, when you go to medical school, you only get a week on on STDs, period. Hmm. You only get a week. And if you're working in some of these urban cities, you have to understand that the impact of HIV impacts every aspect of someone's life. And if you only got a week of that to be inclusive of all STIs and STDs, you probably not going to be really prepared for what you see when you go on the front line. So that's what I'm developing now, trying to find a ways to bridge the gap between clinicians and those of us who've been diagnosed. And the last thing I'm working on is a course that I want to introduce again to people who are newly diagnosed because folks don't realize that once we diagnose, we don't get a class. Mm. Like, you know, when you get diagnosed with diabetes, you know, like this is your nutritionist, you know, a schedule, schedule that. This is your educational courses. We don't have classes like that for HIV. Mm. You get your diagnosis and you kind of go home. Right. But, you know, what if there was a course where it could teach me like my new mm. normal? What does it look like from self-advocacy, patient assistance? You know, because these medications are expensive. Oh, I heard. But, you know, so, but I don't know how to navigate, you know, talking to pharmaceutical companies. You know, my doctor ain't hearing me. How do I disclose? How do I date? What does love making look like post-diagnosis? We don't get that, but it's very necessary, especially for black women, because we are the end all be all for everybody. And this disrupts how we handle a lot of things and how we go through life so just trying to find a way to develop courses so when women come in like this is your new normal sis you ain't got to do this by yourself let me give you some skills to walk through this at least to have the foundation Mm -hmm. so you can know what kind of yeah so you're going to take a holistic approach to that because you talk about mental health you talk about 60 my idea is through that is looking through i think the eight areas of Mm -hmm. self-care um and those eight areas, you know, from vocation, spiritual, mental, financial, covering that because when we heal the whole man, we really are a whole man or woman. We really are healing them in totality to make them a better person post this traumatic experience. Because so many times, you know, take the medicine, you're going to be okay. But my mind, not even in the mindset to take this medication because mm. I'm still reeling from the psychological impact, the financial impact, you know. The childcare vocational impact. I don't know. It took me a month before I started taking my medication. Because in accepting that, I'm like, I had to take this pill every day of my life now. And that's me accepting this diagnosis. So there was a gap there that nobody talks about. Like from diagnosis to taking your medication. There's a, that's a gap that we don't address because like, oh, you just take the medicine, you'll be better. Damn that medicine. Like my mind ain't right. 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 So when you say the holistic approach, I'm so glad that you got that because so many times we lose that holistic approach when it comes to mm-hmm. healing or, you know what I'm saying? Anything that we need to do to make ourselves better 
after experiencing something like this. Have you thought about, and maybe you have, um, lobbying to have this type of education? Be, the reason, in like normal doctor visits or hospital visits or whatnot, because just like mm -hmm. you said, they do it so quickly with diabetes and high cholesterol mm -hmm. and whatever mm -hmm. else you may, you know, find yourself facing. Because I know that they lean a lot on there are foundations for that. But what they forget is we still have to get over the stigma and what people think if they see us going into these foundations, if you have oh, not God. yet, you know, shared your diagnosis. And so I'm wondering if you've looked into lobbying for that. I'm totally down to go with like get some signatures on petitions, because when you said that, I thought, oh, my God, yes. And, you know, it made me think about, you know, and it's so crazy back in. It's just, I'm seeing it now, hindsight. My character who is looking mm -hmm. for this doctor and is now a AIDS clinic. And she's like, oh no, I'm not going in there because I don't have that, you know? And not mm -hmm. wanting to, I can't be seen going in there. And I just think that would be amazing to have some type of form of education that people can do just going to their regular physician or healthcare practitioner or wherever mm -hmm. they're going because you still need to get over so much and you know the stigma is like the the big thing when you're you know I mean I've never been diagnosed and, and I'm right. speaking what I think but that getting over that stigma is what allows you to be open to everything else you're correct because a lot of times I tell people it's the internal because once you get diagnosed, you hear everything that's ever been said about HIV in your life up to that point. You've heard the kids, you know, the cackle. You heard what you, you remember what you see on media. You remember what you read in that magazine or that book. All that comes rushing back and you're just like, mm. <sighs> like it, it hits you. Now it's not something that you read. Now it's something that's playing in mm. your mind. And so it's like, and, it, and it's in the sound of your own voice, you know? And so when you think about like, you know, because they talk about drug adherence so much, like, you know, you got to make sure you're adhering to your drug regimen. Damn that drug regimen. If my mind is playing all these things I've heard all my life and now I'm on the receiving end of things I've either said or even thought about when it comes to people who are living with HIV. Now I am that mm. person and I got to debunk and break all that down and lobby. I haven't thought I thought about lobbying, period for the decriminalization of HIV because the HIV positive in most states is a crime. Um, yeah. It's, you know, um, to me, like, you know, in the state of Tennessee, my bodily fluid is considered a deadly weapon. Um, and say if I'm arrested for just a, a, just a misdemeanor and I spit, cough, sneeze, whatever, and the cop realized that he can trump those additional charges on there. Now I'm at a class E felony, I think, with a fine of upwards of $10,000 starting. And that's probably started off as just a traffic mm -hmm. stop, you know. So in most states, you know, I have to want to lobby for that. But for something like this, I don't even want to so much lobby. I just need to find, you know, my end to like some of these major medical groups to be like, you know, when you have this, you slide them this, you pay for your patient and they can take this class, maybe self, you know, self-taught or live from the privacy of their own home. They ain't got to go nowhere. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like. Finding ways to be innovative because my whole thing is that if I'm looking at it through the lens of talking and getting to black women, we ain't got time always to step out and go right. somewhere. But I got that out on my lunch break or once I put the kids down, I can hop on a Zoom call. You know what I'm saying? So finding ways to make it innovative to where it reaches, the to me, the most vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. um, and just trying to find, figure out a way to do that because we're missing the mark when it comes to black women. Like Carla opened up and said, black women are not, like, we don't realize the impact. And finding ways to do that, funding to do that, because I'm just a one-woman <laughs> show, but right. I do understand that. <laughs> just a one-woman show. But I do understand it's necessary because we're losing so many people to the isolation, mm -hmm. to, you know, to the stigma, to... The, um, just I feel a way about my diagnosis because, again, how do we think about HIV? You know, what did you think about HIV before you met somebody who was HIV positive? And if it wasn't you, your family, your friends, co-workers, sororities, you know, people you're in community mm -hmm. with. What is being said even now? Because, Ravanya, I can imagine what they said to you or what was said after you, this is very important. You want to do that. They want like, you want to yeah, do right. that. Yeah. 
Everybody assumed I was positive. Yes. Everybody. They were like, you have to be. Why would you be doing that? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's why I'm doing it. (laughs) Because of that right there. Because you think that I have to be positive in order to talk about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're Shalavi. That's just me. I think. And honestly, I think it's because it should be done. But I saw the documentary, Mm -hmm. Dear Mama. And I never really knew the impact that Afini Shakur had in the medical system, like why and how we're treated now when we go into the emergency room is because of this Mm -hmm. petite black woman. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You can do that. (laughs) You can do that because I feel like if you lobby for this education to be put in place in regular doctor offices and healthcare places that then it will be easier for the doctors as well to be more Mm -hmm. open and you know erase some of their stigmas and their mindset and their old (laughs) ways of thinking I think it will have a impact on so many different levels which in the end will just be have a greater impact Think about it. Let's talk. And I get Let's talk. Okay. I'm down to help, girl. You know me. I'll stand out there and get signatures. What we need to do. I know. You will. You will. You will. That's you. Pin toes down. Yes. One one thing I want to talk about before we end is uh, dating. Because you mentioned having to get out of your own head and you know, the things that you've thought about HIV and now that's you, you are the person with HIV, but you still want to date. You still want to find love. You still may want to have children. What is your, what is your uh, strategy when it comes to dating? Maybe strategy is the wrong word. No. How do you approach it? <laughs> no, it is, it's a strategy, but baby, this is a strategy because <laughs> yeah. we all know navigating dating, you need some strategy behind that, right? Um, and this is part of the reason why I just, I just launched, um, a workshop that I want to do called Cuffing Confidently, Navigating Disclosure and Dating with Grace. Mm. And one thing that I can say that I have been actively dating probably like a year, a year outside of being diagnosed. And what, yeah, she dates. And I still date the way I did before I was diagnosed. Like, mm -mm, ma'am, she dates, she hugs, she still, (laughs) you know, have healthy sexual, you know, healthy and pleasurable sexual account. Like, no, ma'am, she still does. And I want to say, just looking back at my own life, I had to watch my thought process. And this is what I tell my ladies all the time. Your energy and how you feel about your diagnosis is going to impact the way the person is that you're talking to or engaging with. And I'm, and I, for example, I kept saying, HIV stole my mojo. And I would say this to my best friend, like, HIV stole my mojo. I can't bop how I used to bop. I can't date how I used to date. And I kept saying that and I took on that attitude. And for that year, I could not date how I used to date because I was giving myself, I was prophesying over myself and I was manifesting the words that were spoken. Like manifestation, you know, the, you know, the converse as well as the affirmative can happen. Whatever you speak, you words are speaking, you know, words of spirit. That's how I believe. So you, I walked, I spoke up on that thing. Didn't date having a horrible time and I was like I have to change my mindset and my mindset is like my diagnosis is not you know is now no condemnation we know that you know that scripture very well now there's no condemnation so I don't move with HIV being a condemnation it's nothing shameful it's just a semicolon or a comma to what's to my life right so when I talk about disclosure I tell women disclosure is not a one-way street disclosure is a conversation it's not a monologue Hmm. And you open up the conversation to finding out like, okay, you got some stuff about you that, that I need to know, but you kind of probably scared to tell me what's that. Let's talk about it. And I don't open up about mine until he opens up about Mm. his because my diagnosis is just that it's maintained. I'm not, you know, I'm undetectable. I can't transmit. We can talk about the science behind it, but you might have some unhealed mama issues. You may be toxic, masculine. You know, you may you may be a woman beater. There are some things about you that could be more detrimental to me than my HIV diagnosis is to you. Let's talk about it. And that's my whole thought process. When it comes to dating, we all got idiosyncrasies that 
are not the most prettiest of things. Like, what's that one thing that you know I need to know about you when dating, but you would not want up on a big screen in times? Mm. Let's mm. talk about that. And that's my thought process. My HIV diagnosis, baby, it, all my parts still mm-hmm. work. I'm still prime real estate. This is a good woman. You know what I'm saying? And I carry myself in that way. And that was has, has helped me date. My dating philosophy ain't really changed. You know, I may have more grace and compassion now with who I'm dealing with because I understand we all are going through some things. But nah, because she's still that girl. (laughs) Yes, 100%. (laughs) Ravani, do you have any other questions before I get to my last two questions that I ask all of my guests? No, go ahead. Okay. So Ladia and Ravanya. Mm -hmm. So two questions that I ask all my guests at the end of the show. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. I'm a co-host. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. When I come on as a guest, you ask me that question. Okay, okay. I know okay. what it is, and I have answers, but I'm a co-host, so this is okay. not for me. She don't say her answers. Okay, so, Ladia, G-Y-S-B stands for mm-hmm. get your sexy back, okay? When you first heard the word sexy at whatever age, what did you think about that word, and how has the definition for you of that word evolved? When I first heard, like, as a child, you're thinking that sexy is, like, you know, some over-the-top, like, trope that they give to sexy. You know, like, she, you know, almost like when I hear sexy as a child, I thought about Jessica Rabbit, if that makes sense. Now, she's a fine character. Like, mind you, I love Jessica Rabbit. But, you know, it was that, you know, the extra, you know, it was just over-the-top, you know, seductress and this and the third. But... As I've matured and gotten older, sexy to me is like encompassing confidence. It's, you know, to me, sexy right now is just being ultra feminine and girl, like just leaning into my femininity. You know, like sexy to me, I could be sexy for myself. You know, clean sheets, candles, fresh, you know, lingerie out the tub, a glass of wine. That's what sexy is to me now. It's a, it's a state of being. It's a mindset, not so much an outward appearance, like sexy is confidence. Sexy is living out loud. Sexy is, you know, dancing and singing to the beat of your own drum. It's the state of being for me. That's what sexy is. It ain't just, you know, what I look like. No, baby. It's an experience, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yes. I love all of that. And I agree. My answer was a little similar in the end as far as it's a state of being. In an energy, mm-hmm. in an energy, mm-hmm. very much so, very much so. Number one thing on your bucket list that you have to do. Oh God! Um, in this lifetime, I want to cliff jump and dive and swim. Like, yes, because <laughs> okay, um, I'm learning how to swim. Like, number one thing I have to do. Like, I have to swim in the ocean. That's my number one thing. I don't care if it's jumping off the cliff at Rick's Cafe in Jamaica. I don't care if it's, you know, jumping down into a cenote in Mexico. It's a spot on Aruba I've seen. Like, at one point in time in my life, I want to at least swim in the ocean one good time. Okay. Wow. Like cliff jumping. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Carla's face when you said it. <laughs> I'm Listen. adventurous. I ain't jumping off no cliff. Mm-mm. I send Carla things about hiking to water and things like that. Her response to me mm-hmm. always is, okay, which is, I ain't getting in no water. <laughs> I need to be sending them to you. No. Uh, I love water. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Okay. I, I can't wait to Come see your enough. photos and your video of you jumping <laughs> off a cliff. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> This has been so fun. Ladia, I love your energy. You are such a beautiful person. And this was so informative, like so informative. And I'm so glad you were able to share this with my GYSB Talks audience. And Ravanya, you have been an awesome co-host. This might not be your last time. It was my first time. I was nervous. Even though I'm an actor, I was nervous. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm so happy to have shared space and energy with y'all because I was just like, oh my gosh, you reached out. I was like, sure. And I, you know, saw the podcast and I looked, I was like, oh, this is mm-hmm. cute. You know? And I like the fact that, you know, the, the audience is a little bit old, not well, older, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, they listen to podcasts. We, we listen to podcasts too, 40 and up, you know? So I'm excited. I was happy. This has been an awesome time, you know, to get up on a Saturday morning, put on a little uh-huh. face and, you know, put on a little tea, <laughs> you know, for to, for some recording because this ain't what I look like on a Saturday morning at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I will make sure that everyone knows how to get in touch with you. All of the things will be in the show notes, your links to all of your things that you have going on your website, you know, IG. Ravanya, I will do the same for you because I'm sure people will want to follow you as well and um it's been great if you want to stay connected i can't say no remind you no just kidding (laughs) all right if you want to stay connected with gysb movement that is me i'm gysb movement on all social media platforms that's tiktok ig and youtube and if you have not yet turned on your notifications for gysb talks please do so Follow, turn on your notifications. If anything resonated with you on this particular episode or any episodes that you've viewed in the past, please share them out. We would love to grow this community. Um, And until next time, I appreciate you tuning in and I will talk to you soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Have a good one. All content on this podcast and any linked blog, podcast, webinar, course, or video material is created and produced for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health advice. The information is general and may not be suitable for your personal circumstances or complete health objectives. Do not use this content as a standalone resource to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease for therapeutic purposes or as a substitute for the advice of a health professional. Never delay seeking advice or disregard the advice of a medical professional based on our content here on this podcast. If you have questions or concerns about your health or medical condition, please seek guidance from a medical professional.